0: Again, welcome today. Thanks so much for being here. Um, uh, You know, it's a daunting kind of thing every week to spend time preparing to talk to you out of God's Word. Uh, You know, I... If you've ever done that in any type of setting, you, you've, you've taught in a Sunday school class or a small group or, or a Bible study of some kind or maybe at a church in some other environment. You know, Every single week when I, I begin to prepare, and sometimes I've known maybe for a while what the topic was for that week or what the scripture reference was. But my normal routine is that if I'm going to preach like today on a Sunday, that this past Monday... I, I sit down on Monday morning, so I'll, I'll start this process again tomorrow for next Sunday. And I open God's word and I just begin to read that passage and look and see what is it that God is saying to me out of that passage? What is it that God is kind of raising, you know, the words kind of off the page almost to me. It just as I read it, it just resonates with me. And then as that begins to happen, then sometimes I take that and I study specific words or specific phrases or there's something that comes to mind somewhere else in in, in the Bible that kind of raises out of that. And, you know, today is a day that there, there wasn't necessarily a planned topic other than for us as a, as a part of our celebration, just to celebrate the faithfulness of God and... As I began to prepare, I kind of had, it was a blank page, whatever I I wanted to speak on today in in, in our planning process. And and I just came to this passage in in the book of 1 Kings, which is in the Old Testament. If you want to flip there, you can go there. We're going to have some of this on the screen in a few moments. But as I read this passage over the last week, and and once I study or start that study process on Monday, you can ask my wife. She probably hears the message ten times between Monday and Sunday. It just begins to kind of get inside of my heart and, and just, it really kind of stirs me up. It, it, it challenges me, it convicts me so that hopefully by the time I ever get up here and start talking to you, I mean, God's just kind of wrecked me with this this passage. And that's what's happened with this passage that we're going to read today out of 1 Kings. And it's really a, it's a peculiar passage because I don't know if you're like me at all. Some, some of you are, and some of you are thanking God you're not. I'm a fairly competitive person. Those that know me know that that's the case. Just want to throw in here that our church softball team is 1 and 0 after last Monday night we won 15 to 5, no thanks to me. But we uh we played tomorrow night at 7:30 at Hobgood Field 4. Just throwing that out there if you want to come watch, but I'm a pretty competitive person like like it's not a funny thing to me when I say at the end of service, you know, that I'm going to I'm going to bless you we will give our response and I'm going to beat you to the front door. I'm literally trying to beat you to the front door. And if I get there and you beat me, I, I obviously assume that you left the service early. Like I assume that you did not stay until I said, "Amen." Hey man, you're dismissed. See you next week, 1030, because I'm going to beat you there if you stayed in this room. I just know it's going to happen because I like to win at everything. I mean, if we're not even in this church, we're not even in this school, we're at lunch today, and it's time to go, and we're both walking out. I'm, I'm just going to get to the door before you to hold the door open for you so you know I got there first, just in case you needed to know that. It's not, it's not a mean thing. It's not an arrogant thing. I don't want to rub it in your face. I, I just want to beat you always. And and I think there's a lot of people in the world like that. And I don't know if maybe during this season of the Olympics and the summer athletics and baseball and we're ramping up to football season, if maybe this is on my mind as well. But, you know, I think a lot of people that are like me, they're competitive, they want to win. They want to stack the deck in their favor as much as possible. I mean, I don't know if you noticed this, if you watched any of the Olympics. I mean, I found myself watching sports that I didn't even know were sports just because there was competition at play. I'm like, hey, we're just all treading water and Throwing our arm in the air, okay, 10, you get a 10 there. I don't know what that means, but I didn't even know it was a sport. Um, I I can tread water, I'm an Olympian. All right, so, but as I'm watching these, I don't know if you noticed it, but their swimsuits don't look like my swimsuit. I mean, I've got a a flowy plaid pair with cargo pockets, and it's awesome. They don't swim in those. They swim in like skin-tight coveralls, it appears, because that gives them an advantage. Like if I showed up, not like Michael Phelps wouldn't beat me anyway, it's not just the attire, but if I showed up in my flowy cargo plaid number and he looks at me in his skin tight, you know, I could wear skin tight, but it would be inappropriate. But <laughs> that he wants an advantage, right? So his swimsuit is more aerodynamic than mine. You know, baseball players, they want, you know, pine tar on their bat to make it stickier. So that they don't, you know, let it go and it flies into the stands because that helps them to kind of grip. And you might see some of them, they have this weird thing on their thumb to kind of help hold the bat. Football players, sometimes they've got like an extra mask in their face mask to kind of help block this. Any advantage, anything to help them to win, to be further ahead than the guy that they're competing against. Now the line gets blurred when we start to take that and go to some type of unfair advantage. Like, I'm not a big NASCAR guy. I know there's, I think, evidently a pretty big race this weekend. We've got several families, I think, in Bristol. And the only reason you go to Bristol, evidently, is because cars go in circles for about four hours. But NASCAR, you have some cars that, you know, they would make, like, modifications. They would alter the car a little bit. It would seem inconsequential to most of us, but it, it changes what is fair for all the cars. And so now you're cheating, and now you get docked points, and you, you're suspended for a race or two. Or baseball players, again, I'll go back to baseball. It's my favorite sport, but... Baseball players, they're suspended now for 50 games if we find out they've got performance-enhancing drugs in their system in some way. And just over the last few weeks, several players have, have been found guilty of this. Lance Armstrong, this has been in the, the news this week. You know, this battle about his reputation and what allowed him or helped him maybe to win these seven Tour de France or France, I'm not sure how you would say that, but bike races in Europe, right? cuz he some people say he used performance enhancing drugs he says i've never failed a test other people are saying yeah but you, you mask what you were he's trying to maybe use an unfair advantage maybe he's not but what you have is that the line gets blurred there in when we take the advantage that we're trying to to seek and we cross over into the unfair advantage we're we're stacking the deck in our favor we're almost getting a head start against our competition so that we can't lose but have you ever seen anybody, I mean, realistic, I'm not talking about when it was obviously not a fair fight. I'm not talking about like when I'm playing like horse or basketball with my, my kids and I'm obviously going to beat them, that I would give them an unfair advantage. Well, that's, that's bad, I shouldn't do that. But I'm talking about like if it's a fair fight, if it's like we're evenly matched, have you ever seen anybody that would really in that kind of instance give someone else the advantage? Not to test themselves, I'm not talking about for training, but I'm talking about they they would literally give someone else the advantage over them, ahead of them. They would give them a head start, not so they can, you know, try to come back. They're, They're going to concede victory almost. That's really what's happening here in 1 Kings. This is the prophet Elijah. Prophet Elijah is going to do battle, really, not army battle here, but really kind of battle of the gods against the prophets of the God Baal. There's also some prophets here of the God Asherah. And so what we have in in this passage is that we have Elijah, who is going to help kind of fight against these prophets of Baal, these false gods, these false um, entities, divine beings, that other people are believing in. he's believing in Jehovah God, the God that you and I have been worshiping today. And really the outcome of this battle at the top of this mountain will determine for most of the people in attendance who they will serve. Will they serve Jehovah God or will they serve Baal or Asherah, one of these false gods and idols? So if you've got your Bible, flip to First Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18. I'm going to begin reading about halfway through verse 36 and read several verses here. What you have is... You have Elijah standing at the top of the mountain and he is saying to these prophets, he says, here's how we're going to determine who wins today. Who is the true and living God? He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get two bulls. I'm going to let you pick the bull that you want of these two. You'll take the one you want. I'll take the other. We're going to build an altar. You put that animal up on the altar and then you attempt to call down fire from your gods, from the heavens, call down fire to consume the sacrifice and the 400 prophets of Baal, they do this. They t- they pick the bull that they want. They build an altar. They put the animal up on the altar and they do everything within their power to call down fire from heaven. I mean, they, they do everything. I mean, some translations talk about, you know, them, them screaming and yelling and even trying to cut themselves. And, all. and, and Elijah, he begins trash talking. I mean, he begins kind of making fun of them. He's like, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe it's not a good time for him. Maybe he's in the restroom. I mean, literally, that's what the Bible. Maybe he's, you know, not there right now and, you know, leave a message and he'll get back. I mean, he is trash talking, rubbing it in their face that they can't do this, that their God is is not responding. He's a false God. At the end of all that, then Elijah steps up and he rebuilds the altar. And he takes the bull that's been given to him and he puts it on this altar. And the altar is built with 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel, which is God's covenant chosen people there. Not only does he take the bull and put it on top of the altar, then he digs trenches around the altar, like ditches around the altar. And then he has men come and take buckets of water and pour it over. The sacrifice over the altar until it fills up the ditches around the altar. And they do that one time. They do it again. They do it again. And and now the trenches around the altar are filled with water. And then this is what Elijah prays. That's what he says, beginning in verse 36. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O oh Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have turned their, back, their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, this is, a cra- this is an incredible story. It's one of those amazing Old Testament epic narratives about the power and might of God. And, and as I read this, and depending on your theological leanings of where you go here, you know, as I read this, I think, you know, God could have just sent fire. I mean, when everybody just showed up at the top of the mountain, God could have just been like, all right, they're all here now, fire. And proved that he was God. But And I've said this phrase before, I, I, I borrowed it from someone else, but if anything, God is efficient. You know, if we had this conversation last night with a guy, if, if the only thing that mattered for your life was going to heaven, then I believe that the moment that you accepted Christ into your heart, he would have taken you to heaven. But he didn't. You're here living on earth now, which means that there is something that God perhaps wants to do in and through you here before you get there. And he's efficient. And so if it was only about sending fire from heaven, then, then God could have done that at any point. But he waited until the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asher had done their thing and had failed so that the people that were in attendance would see that they were false gods. That they didn't have the power that Jehovah God had. And then he continued to wait as Elijah stacked the deck against Jehovah God. I mean, it would. He, Elijah didn't say that the prophets of Baal had to build a certain kind of altar, or chop the animal up. He didn't say they had to dig a ditch. He didn't say they had to pour water over or anything. But he does. I mean, he digs the ditch and they, they pour water in and they fill the trench up with water so that I don't know if you know this, but water and fire don't mix very well. Usually, water's putting fire out. Elijah's stacking the deck here against God. If it was just about God sending fire, he could have done that at any point. But he allows for Elijah to be a part of the supernatural work of God. And after Elijah has done his part, God sends fire. And it says that the people... Declared after seeing this. The Lord he is God. The Lord he is God. And, and I, I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. When I read this story I think of two kind of guiding principles for my life. The first is this. God is responsible for the results. God is ultimately responsible for the results. I, I'm not responsible to make fire come down from heaven. I'm not responsible... That everybody in the room becomes a believer in Christ. Though that's my heart's desire. I'm not responsible that 105,000 children in this community. You know are, are connected through community outreach. I'm not. God is ultimately responsible for the results. I am responsible for my efforts. In the supernatural work of God. I am responsible for my efforts. In the supernatural work of God. There's another story. Very briefly here, that connects the dots a little better, maybe it 's in second Kings. So if you're at first Kings, go to the very next book, Second Kings chapter three. You have three kings in this story who are joining forces to go to battle. and this is the kings of Israel, the king of Judah, the king of Edom, and they set out together to overthrow the king of Moab. So they've set out together and they are going with their armies through the desert to get to where they're going to do battle with the king of Moab and attempt to overthrow him and his government and and, and to win the battle. And they go out into the desert that they're going to cross. And when they get out in the middle of a desert, okay, hot, they get in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a drought, they run out of water. They're in the middle of a desert. In the middle of a drought season, they have no water for their armies and for their, their, their horses and their animals that are helping them in this battle. And, and they began to talk to themselves and say, why did God bring us out here if his plan was just to have us thirst to death? And then they ask the question and they say, is there no one that is a prophet of God? Is there nobody that can talk to God and intercede for us to God? And then this really cool thing happens. Somebody remembers that the prophet Elisha, not Elijah that we just read about, but Elisha, who is his apprentice, is available. He's, he's nearby. And so they, they begin to call for Elisha, this prophet, the apprentice of the guy who was at the top of the mountain and called down fire. But I love how they describe him. This is 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11. It's going to be on the screens. It says this, but Jehoshaphat asked, he's, he's one of the kings there. He asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, aren't you thankful that's not your name, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Now let me just pause for just one moment, because when I read this again, this is what just jumps off the page to me. They didn't describe him by his supernatural ability to connect to the heart of the supernatural powerful God. What was the description that was used of him? This is the guy who poured, hand, who poured water on the hands Elijah. He was a guy who served someone else faithfully. He served the prophet of God before him in such a way that he's known by his faithful acts of service. And this one's free because this is not what we're preaching today. But what are you known for? Like, what is it that people know you for? Do they know you by your accolades, the results of your life? Do they know you by the merits, the things that you've accomplished? Or do they know you because of your faithfulness? Do they know that you faithfully serve the Father? Faithfully serve those that God has entrusted to you? I just just love that. When I read that, I'm thinking, God, let me do that. Let me find somebody. That I can so faithfully serve here that reflects me faithfully serving you. That if anyone ever needs me, they call for me by my faithfulness. I love that. I love that. Let's continue reading here. This is what it says in verse 16 of 2 Kings chapter 3. Elisha kind of brings in a harpist. Because don't we love harpists? He brings in one so he can think better. This is what it says. And he said... This is what the Lord says, make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says, you will neither see wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you and your cattle and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord, and he will also hand Moab over to you. You will overthrow overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom. And the land was filled with water. Now, sometimes when we read Scripture, we fail to see that it took just as much faith for them to trust God when it didn't make sense as it does for me and you today. I mean, if God were to say to you today, I want you to go out into the middle of a desert, in the middle of a drought, and dig ditches, And I'm going to fill them with water. If you have more faith than me, God bless you. But my first thought would be like, what? (laughs) Desert, hot, dry, drought, no water. Where's the water going to come from? I'm not going to see rain. And yet the trenches will be filled with water. From where, God? But we don't have any record that this is what happened. They just go out and start digging trenches. They just start digging ditches in the middle of a desert. Maybe God said something to you at some point in your past. Maybe recently God has said something to you. And when you think about that, you think, man, that doesn't make any logical sense. But God is asking you to respond. He's asking you to be faithful. He's asking you to serve. He's asking you to trust. So I brought a little helpful tool here with me today. I got a shovel. Okay. If you go to sleep, I'm going to hit you over the head with it. No, I'm not going to do that. I got a shovel. I don't know what your shovel is. But for these armies, it was literally a shovel that they had to dig ditches in the middle of a desert. Because God said, dig ditches in the middle of a desert in a drought. And I'm going to fill them. What What is it that you need to trust God with? Like, what is it that maybe God's asking you that doesn't make a lick of sense right now? You know, Dr. Paul on this video was talking about all that God was doing. and, And there was no model for what he was talking about there when they said, so we decided to move 15 miles north and open another building. Like today, present day, there's a lot of examples of multi-site churches like we are meeting in another venue some miles away. There's about 5,000 churches in the United States that have multiple geographical locations for their church. But in that day, no. I mean, in our study, before we launched this campus, we found that that was one of the first two or three churches to do that. He had no model. I mean... (laughs) I'm trying to get into his head and think if God says, "Hey, why don't you, why don't you look for another piece of property 15 miles from here?" Well, I mean, God in the point of church to get people to come to church, and how is that going to be church up there if we're church down here? And just started digging. Maybe in in your finances, we we prayed about this a little while ago. I know this is a real issue for a lot of folks. I mean, maybe in your finances, I mean, you're. You're trying to figure out how to make the days of the month match the dollars of the month. And it seems like the dollars run out before the days do. And maybe as you've been thinking about this and praying about this and attempting to figure out how to how to do this and you're trying to honor God in your life, that God's just saying, "Okay, just you just start digging. I'm going to fill it up. Maybe on your job that just is a dead end job you think. I mean there's there's no opportunity for advancement maybe or you're not really sure what the opportunities available to you are. Maybe your boss hates you, maybe you hate your boss. <laughs> maybe you and coworkers you don't get along. And you're trying to figure out how you can be known as someone who's faithfully serving someone that's over you. You want to be the kind of man or woman that's like, man, they pour water on the hands of those over them. They serve. They do faithfully what they're asked to do. And you're trying to figure out how to make that sync up with this dead-end job that you are dreading waking up and going to tomorrow. Maybe today God's saying, just start digging. In the middle of a desert, in the middle of a drought, you start digging and I'll fill it up. Maybe in your home, you're trying to figure out, how do I make my marriage work when all we ever do is fight? Maybe some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, marriage, that would be awesome. I just need another person to be a part of that. Maybe God's saying, you start digging and I'll send water. Maybe you say, but yeah, my kids, they don't serve the Lord, and I'm trying to figure out how we as a family can, can be faithful and serve God and live for God and be all that God wants us to do. And God's saying, you start digging, and I'll fill it up. You say, man, I hear you talking about evangelism and relationships with unbelievers. And you're talking about, you know, I'm supposed to go and win the loss and go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, great commission. I want my life to be about that and serve and, and get people to church. But even if it's not just that, just in my life, invest in them. And I believe that God is saying to you, you start digging. And I'll send water. I don't know what it looks like for you. That's about seven examples. There's 17,000 more, I'm sure. You know what today is? Today is a reminder for you that God is faithful. And that in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a drought, when you start turning soil over that is desperately in need of water, and you can't figure out how God is going to fill that up even a little bit, God's faithful. And guess what? It doesn't mean that as soon as you stick your shovel in the ground and you turn it over that first time that it fills up with water. Because guess what? You remember in the story right there? It said the next morning there was water. You know what that means? They dug all day and they were thirsty. And they went to sleep that night thirsty. But they woke up the next morning. And the empty ditches that they dug in the desert in a drought was filled with the faithfulness of God. And I got a lot of dreams and a lot of hopes and a lot of plans. I got a lot of things that I would love to see happen here in this place, in this community, through this body, this group of people. And a lot of times I want it to be really easy and really simple. And I just want it to be like, hey, we just kind of, you know, show up and, and it, it happens. And I think that sometimes God is saying to us, you may have to dig some ditches in the desert in a drought. You may not just have to put the bull up on the altar, but you may have to dig some ditches around the altar and fill it up with water yourself. And then I'll dry it up. Because your life is not about you. Your story's not about you. Your efforts are not about you. Because you, some of us, man, we're so self-righteous. We think if we put the shovel in the ground, we're like, everybody should look at us and go, man, look how faithful they are. They're digging ditches in the desert. Whew, look at them. That's awesome. No. It ain't about the ditches. It's about the God that provides water. And here's the cool thing about it. No matter what your example is, no matter if it's your home or your job or your money, no matter if it's your marriage or lack of, no matter if it's your children, no matter if it's this place, it's your life group you're trying to faithfully serve God in that life group, your ministry team here that you're trying to serve through, the evangelistic share the story, be Jesus with skin on to other people in your lives. It's not about you. It's about your life reflecting the glory of God. It's about you and the way that you live and the way that you work and the way that you serve pointing people to him. It's you making a ditch that God can fill up so everybody in the desert knows that God is faithful. It's about you rebuilding an altar. The altar was probably good, especially if God's going to send fire. Some of us would have sat there and been like, well, you know, it's that's probably good enough. No. No. Faithfully rebuilding the altar, putting the bull on the altar, digging the trench, filling it with water. Not once, not twice, three times filling it up. And then turning to God and saying, God, you're on the hook here for the results. I'm not on the hook for the results. I'm on the hook for my effort, for my availability to be used by you to declare who you are. So that everybody on this mountainside will say, the Lord, he is God. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And I want you, as they come, not to be distracted by them walking up the stairs. But I want you to look right here at me. I want you to focus in just for a moment. And I want you in your head to figure out what is your desert, drought, place that needs a ditch. Like, where in your life is it that you need God to show up? In your head right now, I want you to find that spot. Is it home? Is it job? Is it work? Is it school? Is it marriage? Is it relationship with my kids? Is it relationship with my neighbor? Is it relationship with a friend? Is it what? Finances. I want you to find that place. Where is it that I need to faithfully trust God With some things that may not all add up. I'm not talking about being crazy lunatic. Like this is not a cult here. Okay. We're not going to meet anybody behind the third moon on the third Thursday of where. None of that's what I'm talking about here. Okay. I'm talking about I am trusting in God to do the work that I cannot do. And I'm going to be a part of that work. I'm going to be a part of that effort with everything that I can do. Everything that I can be. So that when God does show up, and he will, by the way, that I've set the stage for people around me with my life to say the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. God. So that people who are in a desert, in a drought, can drink water from ditches that we dug. And the whole time I was digging, they were probably thinking, this doesn't make any sense. You are crazy. But now they're drinking water and they're going, man, God is faithful. I can't believe how faithful God is. I don't know what that area is for you. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't know what that place is. And if you can't think of one, then just keep praying because I believe there is some spot in your life that God wants you to push forward in your trust in Him, push forward in your faith in Him. Today's not about your effort. Today is just you being willing to say, I'm going to dig a ditch. I'm going to dig a ditch and I'm trusting God that what we've been singing about all morning the story we watched on this screen about your faithfulness over the last 25 years the examples from your word that God you're faithful to the very end you're faithful to the very end It's time for some of you, some of us, to pick up a shovel. It's time to get uncomfortable. It's time to stretch our faith, stretch our trust. And represent a life fully devoted to a God who is faithful. Time to start digging. I've asked the band just to come back and re-sing just a portion of the song that we just concluded. Never once. And if you want to sit where you're at, you can sit right there. You want to close your eyes, you close your eyes. You want to stand and lift your hands, you do that too. This is between you and God and nobody else in the room. And I want you to do two things while they sing. I want you to try to identify... Where's the spot? Where's your desert in a drought that needs a ditch? What is it that you need to trust God with today? And then the second thing is, I want you to ask God. God, I want you to help me. I want you to give me faith. I want you to help me trust. Don't just assume this second part. Once you identify that it's your home, your finance, your job, wherever... I want you to literally, specifically pray. Okay, God, I need you to give me enough faith to start digging. Because man, when I start digging, it, it people around me may think I'm crazy. You don't think the people thought Noah was crazy when he started building a boat? They were like, "What's that?" He was like, "A boat." They're like, "Why?" He was like, "For when it rains." They're like, "Awesome. What's rain?" I mean, they'd never heard of rain, but he was faithful to trust in God. Ask God. God, where's my desert? Give me faith. Show yourself faithful to me. I'm going will come back and pray. God, whether we acknowledge it or not, you are faithful. Let it not just be words on a screen. Let it not just be words of a song. But God, let it be our hearts acknowledging, our lives acknowledging that you are faithful. And God, I pray for every person in this room who's got a desert place in the middle of a drought. I mean, there is no common sense reason that it would fill up with water. But God, your faithfulness proves that it can. Your word tells us that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the story that we just read in the Bible is not some fake fairy tale. You did that. And God, your faithfulness that existed there and filled up that ditch will fill up our ditches. God, it will help in our marriages. It will help on our jobs. It will help in our homes. It will help with our finances. It will help with our kids. It will help with our neighbors. And so God, today, I pray that you would do the work. I pray that you would help us to be faithful ourselves to dig the ditches. God, let us be a part of your supernatural work. Let us be a part of what it is that you're doing in the world. Let us not just stand by and wait to see what you do and try to justify how it took place. But God, let us put the shovels in the ground. Let us dig the ditches. Let us be a part of your work. God, let us rebuild the altar. Let us fill the ditches up with water and wait on your fire to fall. God, whatever it is that we have to do, whatever effort you're asking us to give, Father God, I pray. That you would give us faith today to do it. It's not just about water. It could be fire. It's not just about money. It could be relationships. It's not just about kids or homes. It could be on jobs. God, your faithfulness stretches to anything our lives have need of. Let us live lives that reflect you Let our faithfulness reflect you. Let people see you when they see us. And God, I cannot wait to hear the stories of our efforts in the desert in a drought and the faithfulness of God that showed up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.